Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to my live interview today for the Victorious Souls podcast. Today, I have Kim Hamer with me. Kim is an HR uh, professional, and she went through a battle with her husband going through cancer. And this is a little close to home with me because I'm going through, my grandson is dealing with leukemia, so Today, I'm feeling some of the feels with that. So if I seem a little off to you, that's why this is a little close to home of dealing with the battle of cancer. And sadly, Kim lost her husband after that and became a widow far too young. And after that, she had to deal with not just the loss, but also raising her kids. But now she is a speaker and she is an author of 100 Acts of Love. And I can't wait to get her in here to share her story with you. And uh, those of you who don't know me, I am Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. So welcome with me, Kim Hamer. Thank you for being with us today, Kim. Thank you for having me, Danielle. Really, really Oh, I've already done that myself here. too. And I just told on myself, <laughs> I tell people I do these live because I do things like that. And then they yeah. know I'm a person like them. I tripped over myself. And then I told them this is a little close to home. You went through a battle with your husband with cancer and my grandson is fighting leukemia. So this is kind of putting me in the feels. Yeah, <laughs> so if, yeah. I, if I'm a little different than normal, that's why. <laughs> so then people understand why. And I think that helps them to give themselves permission to struggle as Absolutely. well. So I'm not perfect. I didn't even do your bio perfectly or anything, but we can get into this and I have it copy pasted in the notes and everything will be in the show notes of the podcast anyway. So we'll get there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We always do. We arrive just, you know, some, sometimes in better shape than we think, even though we started off in a, in a, in a, in a worse shape than we are. Yeah. yeah. Our messes can turn into a really beautiful message. And sometimes the mess is part of the message yeah. is an important part of it. So yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the whole thing of after you lost your husband, tell us about your family when you were first married, yeah, your kids, your extended sure. family, whatever you want to tell us about Kim. Yeah. So my husband was a six foot six, 230 pound man, very big, sturdy, tall man. 
Um, we met, the joke is we met in a cave, um, which is <laughs> interesting because he's six foot six. Yes. So I invited <laughs> him. He was, he was leading, he was with, he was a teacher and he was leading students on this weekend thing. And I was working for the company that was taking students out. And so I said, Hey, you need to come in the cave. It's really fun. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, lady, I'm six foot six. I'm not crawling into a cave. And I was like, just come, just come. It'll be really great. And he did. And then he came back the second day as well. So that is, that is what kicked off our relationship. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we got married, we had three different children in three different states. We moved a lot for his career and uh, we landed in LA. And I remember looking at him when we got off the plane and saying, this feels like home. So it was the first place that we both felt like, you know, LA was a place for us to be. Um, you know, we were sort of a some, somewhat typical LA family, very healthy, organic eating. You know, we would tag team in the morning in our workouts. He would get up early and go work out. I would get up, he'd come back home. I would get up, get the kids up. He would come, come back home. I'd go out the door to work out. He would get the kids ready. Then I'd come home and he'd go off to work. Um, and I take the kids to school, you know, just trying to be decent humans, trying to raise decent humans, um, dealing with that day to day life of what it's like to have toddlers and to be, you know, my husband was a basketball player. And so when we had our third, he said we went from playing man to man to, to doing zone. And so, you know, you never, you never, when you're zoning, when you're zone parenting, you know, you're just kind of always looking at the grand landscape of everything, seeing who's, you know, whose emergency is the, is the highest order in that moment. Um, so he used to say we went, so we were just trying to zone parent, you know, and um, yeah, that's sort of what our life was like. He was a good man, a really good husband and, and a really good father, a kind, uh, firm, caring father. You said you have three kids. Yeah, have three. Daughter, yeah, we sons. have three children. Yes. So sorry. Yes, two boys and a girl. The girls in the middle. So oh. and they're all they're all two and a half year, roughly two and a half years apart. Because the rule was, if one if the last one gets out of diapers, I'm not having another one. Oh. So <laughs> <we> always, <laughs> so they're timed. You know, right when one was about to get out of diapers, I got pregnant again. So that's sort of how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but you figure out how to stop that after the third one or yeah like, well no, we need the, to get you out of diapers the, so I don't right, have another one <laughs> right well the, the joke was you know when we, when we moved to California I said FYI we're not having a California baby like oh. we have we we have a New York baby we have a Nevada baby we have a North Carolina baby we are not having a California baby and he was like he was on board with that that three was <laughs> three was a good number for us <laughs> when your kids think about being born in, in different states do they think that's cool or they you know they don't think much of it um when my daughter was born we lived in Vegas when my daughter was born and her name is Palace, but it's not P-A-L-A-C-E. It's P-A-L-L-A-S after the Greek goddess of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And, but we lived in, we lived in Nevada and people are like, oh, did you name her after Palace Station, which is a casino or Caesar's Palace, which is another casino. So we used to joke that, yeah, we won a jackpot, went upstairs, whoops. And now we have a baby. That's what we named her after the, the casino. <laughs> so that was, you know, but we moved before it became an issue for her and her name you know mm -hmm. so it's you know still people think of her as p-a-l-a-c-e there are very few people who really know they're like hey is that p-a-l-l-a-s and you're like wow you're in the club it's like when you're when they know what her name is they're in a very special club yeah oh i understand that people 
mispronounce my daughter's name all the time. So like when you can say it right, I'm like, good job. Exactly. Exactly. You're like, wow, you're special. (laughs) (laughs) So then you, you moved to LA. How long did you live there before your husband got sick? Cause then he got sick and you went through this battle. How long was that? Yeah. You know, we were only here for three years. It feels like I've lived here for so long. Um, we were here for three years. The first year we got here, the, the first summer, he actually ended up with appendicitis. Oh, wow. So thank God for the community. Then they just kind of showing up with meals. We didn't know anybody. Um, and yeah, that was really difficult. And then he, you know, my husband was very good. He never got sick, but when he got sick, he got sick. You know, he didn't, he didn't mess around. Um, <laughs> we're going to do it. We're going to do so, this right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. He was intense about all those quietly intense about everything and getting illnesses was one of his quietly intense ways. Um, and, and he was diagnosed in 2006 and, you know, he was having trouble he was complaining about pain in his joints. He went to a specialist. The specialist said, look, it could be a virus that you picked up from your kids. It manifests differently. We could, they couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. And then we were away on vacation and he was running these mild fevers and coughing. And so we were giving him ibuprofen, which was knocking the fever down. Mm-hmm. And we were giving him Delphsum cough syrup, which seemed to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are not, you know, we weren't people who who took any type of over-the-counter drug easily. We were very sort of very health conscious and tried to treat things as naturally as possible. So for him to kind of really be okay with taking ibuprofen pretty much every day. And the interesting thing was the minute the ibuprofen uh, wore off, his fever came back. Oh, wow. So it was just kind of odd. And then he came home. um, We had a very frightening experience where our daughter was hit by a car in front of us. We were across the street. My daughter came out on a scooter really, really fast, trying to get across the street to us, had her helmet on, thank goodness. And this car was coming down the street. He sees her, he's yelling to her, stop, 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 stop. You see her trying to stop and she doesn't stop in time. And the think of the car windows were open because this woman's like, why is he yelling? And so she's got her foot off the gas and she, you know, she hits my daughter and um she's okay you know we take her to the hospital we wait for the ambulance take her to the hospital she's 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 okay but my husband was a very stoic man and the following a couple days later my really good friend of mine came over and she said he doesn't look good and i said oh he's just he's probably still processing what happened to our daughter you know it was just absolutely terrifying um but then that would be terrifying oh my goodness how old was she yeah she was five yeah, she was five or six, I think in 2006. So she was six. Yeah, she was six. Um, so he um, goes out for a run and just comes back. He goes out for a six mile run. And he comes back in like 10 minutes. And I was like, either you, we need to enter you into the Olympics or something's <laughs> wrong. Right? Yeah. And he said, I'm just having trouble breathing. So I do what every good wife does. And I said, here, take some of my asthma medicine. So, so he takes some asthma medicine. He seems to feel better. But then a couple of days later, it seems to be getting worse. And he makes the decision, you know, she, he calls our primary care, primary care says, hey, go see the specialist again. And in that moment where he said, I, he was, he was going to say to me, I really want you to come. And I said to him, I think I need to come with you. Because we just sort of, you know, you just know it's on a very unconscious level, something was not right. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so there in the doctor's office, it was very similar to movies. We're sitting on one side of the table, the doctor's sitting on the other side of the exam table. He laces his fingers together, puts them on the table and says, I think you have cancer. And then proceeds to tell us all the symptoms of why he thinks this and says, you know, it shows us the x-ray and the cancer had already spread and it was all over his lungs. Um, so those little nodules. So that's why he couldn't breathe. Um, so within a couple of days, we went from him being diagnosed to, um, I think it was nine days later, him starting chemo. And the only reason it took nine days is because they, he had a very large tumor that they needed to remove. Um, but it was so serious. Normally they want you to have the surgery and wait for you to recover and then start chemo. And they said, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, had meta- so he went from, you know, having some type of, it was large B cell lymphoma. He went from having some type of lymphoma probably in July to it fully shutting down his China should kill him within a month. Wow. Um, yeah, it was really intense, really, really intense. Um, and, you know, I remember, you know, the, the day that actually one of the, one of the first pieces of help we got was the headmaster of my children's school. My children went to private school, so they call the principals headmasters. Mm-hmm. And so the headmaster came to visit and, um, the doctor came in and said, okay, this is what we're going to do and started the plan. And I just sat there going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And the headmaster grabbed a notebook and just started taking notes. And I'm so glad he did because everything that doctor said, pretty much everything that doctor said went right over my head right over yeah. my husband's head, right? We, we were like, yeah. what? And he wrote everything down. So I had wow. the notes like in someone, and he, you know, it was one of the kindest things that he did that was so helpful. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so then my husband, you know, being who he is, just as like, my job is to beat this thing. And he, you know, sat in there and focused um, the chemo regimen that they had him on. He was unable to work at the time. Um, you know, we had, you know, you don't realize what kind of communities you have until something like this happens. So we had these, you know, we, our kids were in school at the time Mm -hmm. and my husband was a, was a, um, uh, head of school of, for, of, a um, um, uh, another school. Um, so he, you know, we had all these people coming in and helping and, you know, we lived all these different places. So we had all these people coming in and helping as well. And, you know, our unsaid rule was, you know, his job was to beat this thing. My job was to hold down the fort. Mm -hmm. Um, And that seemed an easy enough thing to do, but he was an incredible co-parent and also kind of a a co-person in our lives. We didn't, you know, it wasn't like he did everything at work and I managed the house. It was like, we did everything together. I mean, he was the, yeah. he was the chef. He was the one who cooked dinner pretty much every wow. night. Yeah. You so, said you did the whole tag team thing. So it's like, yeah. there was no one to tag. <laughs> no, exactly. 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 Um, really intense. Um, you know, he ended up doing a, a bone marrow, a stem cell transplant. So they take his stem cells out of his system and then they dose him with a huge dose of chemo, hope that it kills everything. And then put the stem cells back into his system, hoping that they'll restart his ability to, 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 you know, to provoke white, to um, build white, to uh, produce white blood cells. And then, you know, seven months later, a really intense battle, seven months later, he was pronounced cancer-free. 
So that was great. And we were excited. I think, you know, I think all along this journey, there are a lot of expectation crackings, expectation breakings, right? Because Mm -hmm. we had never dealt with anyone who had cancer before in our lives. We were very fortunate. And so we didn't know what to expect. And so there was the, you know, there were a lot of people who thought, oh, it's so great. He doesn't have to work. He's going to get to relax and watch movies and read. And what you don't anticipate is chemo knocks the crap out of you and you're in physical pain, a lot of physical pain. There's no way you can concentrate on a sentence, let alone watch a whole movie. You know, there's sort of this, this, he's in this twilight of existing. Um, And the same thing happened when he got cancer-free diagnosis. You kind of expect to be like, woo, this is great. So excited, you know, brand new life. What are we going to shake up now? Because we're not afraid of anything, right? (laughs) And it didn't happen like that. There was still, he was still dealing with side effects, six side effects from the chemo six months after he, his last chemo round, uh, chemo, I mean, cancer does a crisis does great things for marriage. It shows you the really wonderful things about the marriage and it shows you the really bad things about the marriage. So we were kind of looking at this whole thing, like, holy cow, what just happened? And I kind of don't like that part about you, like, or I don't like that part about me, right? So there's that just kind of figure how we're going to work together and operate together. He was feeling extremely guilty because he had sort of, quote unquote, left me to manage everything. I was feeling extremely righteous because I had managed everything, right? So there was this, we had to kind of figure out how to work ourselves back into each other and how to rebuild our marriage in in a sense. Um, Yeah. I just want to pause here for our listener because I want, I don't want them to miss what we just unveiled here. I'm just hearing the story. Sometimes when you're listening to story, you you, miss the core of it, of how complex this was. This wasn't like, oh, cancer diagnosis, fight cancer, get over it. A little struggle. No, this was so complicated. So you who are listening, if you're fighting cancer, you know, keep listening to how you can get help reaching to the people in your life. And those of you who know someone, listen to how complicated this is. There's nothing simple about it. I mean, I went through with my mother. She had cancer. She died of cancer. And it's like, I've seen this in different places and it's always complicated. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that it's, you know, the way that that society is right now, it looks very simple, right? Someone has cancer, you pray for them, you send them good wishes, they get through it, and then everything's fine. Yeah, but it's everything not like is that. not fine. <laughs> no, no, it's not like that at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so then we, we, you know, we decided that we liked our, we decided we liked each other still. Um, we stayed Made together. your choice. Made our choices. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, stayed together and um, just started, you know, trying to put our lives back together. And then uh, less than two years later, the cancer came back and it came back more aggressively, more quickly. And um, one day he said, it was a little after New Year's, he was, he was very lethargic at Christmas. And it was a little, I think it was New Year's Day, actually. He said, I just don't feel well. And I said, if you really don't feel well, he was kind of him and ha, and he didn't, you know, and I said, sweetheart, if you don't feel well, we need to get you to the hospital. And, and he said, okay. Um, and so this, you know, this is a band again, who doesn't like to be, doesn't like to be 
you know, weak, doesn't like to admit that he's not, he's got that strong. He was from Maine. So he has that really kind of grounded, I can get through this on my own Puritan, you know, thinking and upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, the cancer came back and it's like the, his body remembered exactly where to go. He lost weight and way faster than he did this first time. And four months later, he just was done. And, um, you know, I got to be with him when he died. I'm so sorry. Yeah. How did you deal with it during the process when you guys were fighting? You talked about you were blogging and stuff. Didn't you like blog? Were you blogging while he was sick or was that after he passed? Uh, It was throughout. Um, I blogged both times and it was sort of my process of understanding that what we were going through, I wasn't alone. And what I found was, you know, the universal emotions that come from fear or hard times or crisis. It didn't even have to be anybody with cancer. It was just kind of being, and I needed to be, um, now the term people use authentic, but it was really just my needing to get out my thoughts. Um, and I had his permission. Yeah, it was very cathartic for me. And I had his permission, you know, he's, he was a very, he was, um, he was not a out there kind of guy. You know, we were kind of yin and yang in the way that we behaved. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure it was okay with him. And he said, right. It's, he's, I see how it helps you just That's important too, getting, if you're writing about someone else, to get their permission when yes. you know, you're part of a thing, you know, together yes. it's very important. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the blog, I mean, the blog was a way that I processed and especially after he died, it was really a way that I processed, um, you know, just kind of continually thinking and remember, it's like, you know, simple things. Like I remember I went to the doctor about two weeks after he died, maybe three weeks. And there was like, in case of emergency, it's like that had been his name for 16 years. So I wrote a post about what name do you put when yeah. the person who used to be the, you know, who's my in case of emergency number now, who is that person for me? And so it's just kind of, you know, focusing on the loss and then focusing on feeling alone and, you know, in the world and then focusing on realizing, you know, there were on that post, people said, you can put me, you can put me, you can put me, you know, it was really sweet. So focusing on being, allowing myself to be connected with others who are caring and want to help. Yeah. How old were your kids at this time? Um, when he died, they were 12, nine, and seven. And my 12-year-old boy, and two boys, obviously, and they both ends. And my 12-year-old and seven-year-old had turned those ages three weeks before he died. So it wasn't, you know, they were really technically 11, you know, 11, nine, and six. Wow. That's real. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot. It is. It is. It was not, it was not easy. So after that, you, um, you lost the the tag team person forever. So now you're a single parent. You had mentioned to me earlier, he was the primary financial part breadwinner. Yes. And then, you know, he's your husband. And then you have all these emotions. Like, how did you, how did you just, get through that. You know, it's, it's so funny. Cause I, um, I go to this thing called camp widow. I try to go every year and I've been a called widow what? for 
called Camp Widow. And it is exactly what it is. It is a weekend where you meet other widows. And it was primarily focused on young widows, you know, women who were the only widows in their communities um, because of their age. And one of the things that one of the things that those young widows always ask is how like they look at, you know, us older ones who are 13 years out and they think, how do you do it? And we never have an answer. The only answer I can tell people is two things. One is I put one pinky toe in front of the other every day. That was my only goal. It wasn't even big toe. Like big toe was not, not even an option. Pinky toe in front of the other. And sometimes it's a millimeter in front. And then the other thing I started doing was counting days. And I did it, you know, the day after he died was day one. And I did it because I knew at some point I would look back and I wouldn't be in the kind of pain I was in. I had that, that just level of faith that the existence that I was living in right then was not going to last forever. And I didn't know when it was going to end. I didn't know it was going to be day 365 or day 900 or day 12, you know, 12,000. I didn't know, but I knew that it was going to be better that where I was in that moment wasn't going to last. And that counting those days really helped, you know, and it was also a good reminder. There were days I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, girl, you're on day 31. You're not good. You know, know? or I would, I would be, you know, why can't I get out of bed? Cause it's day 56. Like your husband has been gone for less than three months. Like give yourself a break, you know, or a date less than two months, give yourself a break. So it was, it was really good for me to count to, for, for me to keep it in line, for me to remind myself that this isn't something that I'm going to get over quickly. Wow. Yeah. That's the first thing I saw with that was like hope. Cause you said, I'm going to be somewhere else. Yes. Counting was a way of hope hanging on to hope but then also it was a way of self-care for yourself when you're like hey girl it's you know this day you give yourself a break so very powerful tool just take note of here listener maybe counting days will work for you i know i did that during the uh, pandemic during shelter in place i counted right yeah i had no idea how many days it would be i did a live video every day and i made a graphic every day And I knew like you that this isn't forever, but I knew this, you know, for that time, this was historic. Yeah. And so now I have this history that I had that I can look back, which I've not done, but (laughs) one of these days, you know, you can look back at that and go, oh, wow, I forgot about that. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. They even had a um, time capsule that I downloaded online and wrote some things out there about that. So this counting days was I just see how useful it can be because you can encourage yourself. You know, I made it another day. That's One exactly day. what it is. Yeah. That's exactly. At, at night I'd go down, I'd go to bed. I'm like, thank God day seven's over. Thank God day 366 is done. Yeah. You know, because it, it was, it was sometimes it was a great relief to know that, Hey, you made it through this day. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. So one of the things that I was telling the people is that you our speaker, but also the author of a hundred acts of love. So when you were going through both when he, he was sick and after he died, you encountered support that was good. You encountered support that 
wasn't so good and you had lack of support. Tell us about that. Some of the, the best things people did, some of the things that you wish they wouldn't have done. And of course, your classic don't ever say. Right, right. Well, we'll start with that one. So I quickly learned very early on when my husband was first diagnosed, the worst thing you can say to someone is, if you need anything, let me know. And I know many of your audience members, if they're people who are dealing with crisis right now, they get that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not dealing with crisis and you've never dealt with crisis, you don't understand why. And here's the thing. I used to say it all the time. So if you're one of the ones who've said it all the time to your friends, like take that stick, hit yourself with it once and then throw the stick away because you didn't know any better, right? We didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. It was what I was taught to say. I don't even know. My parents never even said to me, this is what you need to say. It's just sort of this, it's in the ethers, right? This is what you're supposed to say in the ethers. This is being supportive, right? Exactly, exactly. And there's there exactly. There are really five main reasons it's not supportive. One is, and this is a borderline one. One is you are, you are not communicate. You're not connecting on the level that the person needs. When you're going through a crisis, and I often think about this, like if you get home from work and you're calling your girlfriend, your friend, your your guy friend, your boyfriend, your partner, whatever it is, you're calling to talk about your day and how bad your day was. You don't want someone to fix it. You don't want someone to make it better. You just want someone to listen. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're in crisis, that's really what you want most of all. You want someone to feel like they connect and understand your journey, and they don't even have to understand the journey that they just you connect with them. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into the do mode before you go into the being mode, that mm-hmm. doesn't help. So that's the first thing you're going into a do mode before going into the being mode. Second reason, what is anything? Like, what is anything? Can I do anything? I, Let me know if I, I can do anything. I have a toddler at the time, right? I had a toddler. Did that mean you're going to take your nicely new detailed BMW and go up and pick, pick up my vomiting toddler at school? Is that what anything was? Or did you mean you'd be happy to drop off a bottle of wine for me and my husband to drink at the end of the night or a meal? Did you mean for your friend whose mother is dying that you were going to sit with a woman who was dying and read to her? Or did you mean you'd be happy to just tell you know, leave a joke on the answering machine every day? Like, what is anything? And although it feels like it's really possible, and even in the moment, you do mean anything. You, in the moment, you are willing, if she said, I need caviar from Alaska, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to get caviar from Alaska from you, like for you. In that moment, the passion is there, Mm -hmm. but you really didn't mean anything. You have your limits and that's okay. The third reason it's not helpful is now you've left it up to the person who may look like they're dealing with a full deck of cards, but they're in crisis. There is not a full deck in there. Now you're leaving it up to them to figure I out. Like that. Yeah, I like I mean, that. It know? appears that they have a full deck, but they don't have a full deck because they they're have a full in deck. crisis. Exactly. Their full deck is like their, you know, their 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 deck is bent and crumbled, and there's some really good pieces in there, but there's a, you know, oh, whatever. a couple you jokers got, you... in there too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. I gotta remember that one. That's a good one. Um, so so now you're asking them to pull apart their day. And to think about the one thing that you might be able to do, right? So, I mean, my day was so off the, off the hook at that point that I couldn't even think of one thing that you can do. I mean, the immediate thing, of course, was meals, but that was already covered. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, and I was like, well, I, 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 you know, I, I didn't remember. I couldn't. Re- I remember putting on hot water to boil pasta, going to the cabinet and realizing I'm out of pasta. 
Like now had someone said, if you need to let it, me know. The deck isn't there. That's the Exactly. That's the deck isn't there. I wish I remembered earlier when someone said, if you need anything, let me know. Cause I would have said, get me pasta, but <laughs> I, I don't remember. And so just kind of, you know, you're asking someone to pull apart their day. And then the, the other reason it's not helpful. I'm sorry. There's four reasons. The last reason is five helpful. or six and you can add there them as you be, go. Exactly. It's exactly. <laughs> we don't even have to count them. <laughs> we don't have to count We're them. We're counting days. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Cause you know what? The 52, I still don't have a full deck of cards. It's just kind of took out everything. Um, so when you, the last thing is now you're asking someone who's really vulnerable and feeling scared and terrified to ask you to do something that you may not want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, you know, when I, when I gave this talk, I say, how many of you are really good at offering help? And like pretty much the whole room, 99% of people say, I'm really good at offering help. And I said, okay, keep your hand up. If you're really good at accepting help and 98% of the room pulls their arms down. Right. The idea of it's not something that comes natural to us in this country. It's not something that comes natural to us. Actually, anywhere. I just had someone spoke to someone in Uganda and they were saying the same thing there. Right. It doesn't come natural to ask for help. But there's something that feels sinful or not okay, or that you're in a weak place when you're asking for help. Right. We don't we don't give we don't you know, we don't like handouts. But so so you're asking a person who is in crisis, terrified, out of their mind crazy, to approach you, to ask you to do something that you may not want to do. Mm -hmm. It's just not, and that's why it's not a good phrase to use. Instead, here's the good news. Instead, think of something specific. You know, one of the stories I love telling is about my neighbor, Nate. And neighbor, my Nate, Nate one day came up to my door and he knocked on the door and he said, when was the last time the oil was changed in your car? And I couldn't tell him. I was like, I don't know. There's oil in the car? What are you talking about? That was right, exactly. (laughs) That was something that Art took care of. I have no idea. And he said, well, let me do this. How about I'll be home all day tomorrow. Leave the keys in the mailbox. I'll swing up, pick up the car, change the oil for you. And I was like, great. So this, this tip was really helpful for a number of reasons. One, because he had me leave the keys in the mailbox, which meant I didn't have to do that whole, it's really hard to accept help. He made accepting help easy because I didn't have to stand in front of him and go, oh my God, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you, thank you. Like it never, my thank yous never, the gratitude I felt could never be expressed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing. And we live in LA and he had me leave the keys in the mailbox and nothing happened. It was fine. So he takes the car. You didn't have to be there either. So I the didn't have to be scheduling there. thing. It exactly. Be, that was exactly. another simplification. It was another it. thing. Yes, exactly. So he takes the car and that day, later on that day, I have to go with someplace with the kids and I walk out and the car looks different. And I get in the car and I turn the car on and I burst out crying because not only had Nate changed the oil, he had filled the car with gas and he had completely had it cleaned inside and out. And I had kids, right? So that car is in, it was a minivan, car's in constant state of disarray. (laughs) And, And he had thought to do this. He was so specific in what he did. 
mm-hmm. and he had thought to do it. And it just took a huge amount of pressure off my shoulder. Cause I wasn't thinking that I needed gas, mm-hmm. but it's one of the things that I know I need. Yeah. And it's one of the things that, especially in the beginning of this journey in the first six months, I literally almost ran out of gas several times because it just, I couldn't, I couldn't jar. We have pasta getting in the, the cupboard, right? There's gas in the tank. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, you know, it was one of those things. So I always tell people be specific and how you want to help and offer more than once and stay in your wheelhouse. We all have helping superpowers. Mm-hmm. I am not good at bringing meals. Not my thing. I can't even order them. I'm really bad but I am the world's best grocery shopper. And if you need something, a specific thing, I will find out which grocery store carries it. I will find out when it's going to be delivered and I will be there when it's delivered and I will get you those 10 packages of organic broccoli that you need. (laughs) I am a really good grocery shopper. I love the hunt. Mm -hmm. So we all have the things that we're good at. So when I help people, I often call them up and say, I'm heading to the grocery store, open up your cabinet and tell me what five things are you almost out of? I'll pick them up and drop them off to you, right? Really simple tip, really easy to do. They're usually so grateful because we're always almost out of something, right? (laughs) And so they get to kind of say this, this, this. It's okay, is that whole milk, 2%, Trader Joe's, you know, Ralph's, like what, what, what milk are we talking? And I'm like, okay, got it. And I go in, I get those five things. Sometimes I throw a little something extra in there and then I drop it off at their house. I don't stay in chat. I don't ask, how are you? I just say, I love you. Here's the groceries. If you want to talk, I'm happy to, but if not, I got to go. And they're like, no, we're good. Okay. And I'm out. So, you know, the more specific you are with the kind of help and especially your helping superpower, the better mm-hmm. off you are and offer more than once. Cause as we said, that person doesn't have a full deck of cards. They're not going to remember that offer unless it's something really wild and different. Mm-hmm. Um, so to expand a little bit more on people, what I found is that some people were able to lean in and be really supportive and some people were not. And it was surprising to both my husband and I, those who kind of took a step back. And in the moment, I was angry. I'll be really honest. I was angry. I was resentful. I was thinking, you know what? We're going through, my husband is fighting, you know, for his life with cancer and you can't give us a phone call to see how he's doing, or you can't return a phone call or you can't do anything to help. Like I was resentful in later in my journey. What I realized is, you know, oftentimes what we hate in someone else is something that we, we have done ourselves. I was that person too. I didn't know what to do or what to say. So I kind of stood back. I took a step back and I sort of waited for them to reach out to me and say, Hey, I need this, which I didn't realize at the time wasn't a good thing to do. And so I came to peace about those people. And I understood that, you know, they didn't have the tools and that's, that was where the book came from. That's how the book arrived because there's a lot of information out there for people with cancer. There is so little information for the two of us, right? If one, if one, three of us is going to get cancer, the other two need to know what to do. And we don't have that knowledge. And so I wanted to give those people who were afraid to step in, who were fearful, who didn't know what to do, who said, you know, it looks like she's got enough help. So I'll, I'll kind of hang out. Right. I wanted to give those people a voice and the ability to lean in because the leaning in the little things, the gas card, the massage gift certificates, the picking the kids up after school and not bringing them back till nine at night on a Friday night, tired, you know, all those little things really mattered. 
they made a difference in the journey and they were actually the foundation of which I built my second life on. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is a lot. I'm thinking about my family and what we're going through at this time too. So like I said at the beginning, <laughs> it's like I'm processing that too of it's a lot. Like you said, he was the breadwinner. So what, how did you survive financially? And did you have like a lot of bills or was that all covered with insurance? I mean, not bills, well, all the bills and yeah, the bills yeah, keep coming. Everything. Yeah, but, exactly. you know, but I, sometimes insurance is good for that. Sometimes it's not, maybe it's good for half of it. Cause I've heard of people who are in really their insurance doesn't cover anything and other ones, their insurance covers everything, but that's only one part of the, this complicated story, but him being the breadwinner and then you not, how did you survive financially? So the story I open my keynotes with is the story of us sitting in the doctor's office, hearing, you know, we're sitting in the doctor's office, the key of the oncologist. And the oncologist is talking about, he's making plans. He's talking about the treatment that my husband is going to be. And he says to my husband, you're not going to be able to work for six, maybe six to eight months. And at that point I stopped listening because we didn't have six to eight months of savings in our account at that time in our lives. Wow. And I went to massive panic. And for three days, um, <laughs> the, when, when you get diagnosed with cancer, they're very, they're very generous with the sleeping aids. So they're, they're like, you know what, this is a tough one. You might want to take a little, you might want a little help getting to sleep. Um, but even with an aid, I wasn't able to sleep. And so I went through three nights of just massive panic. And then I heard my husband talking to his boss and my husband's voice sounded very odd and odd enough for me to get up off the couch and to go into the study. And he hung up with my, with my, with his boss as I entered the study. And I said, what did Tom say? And he just didn't say anything. And I was like, oh God, you don't have a job to go back to. Like in my head, I'm thinking we're going to have to move back to the East coast where our family is like, I'm just spinning. Yeah. And he said, Tom just said that that they're going to cover my salary for the time I'm in treatment. And we just stood wow. there completely shocked. Wow. So that was the beginning of making sure, you know, that we had, that was, it was just such a gift. It was such, such a gift, such a gift. Oh, yeah. And that, and that's the beginning of how I started, how I came to do what I do now, which is really supporting corporations, you know, managers and HR teams and how to manage and work with employees dealing with cancer. And I'm not saying that companies have to do that or that friends have to do that. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a very small example of what happens when, you know, making a, making a gesture like that can be life-changing. And it really was. Oh, yeah. um, so my husband had an insurance policy that he unfortunately let lapse in between his cancers. So when he died, there was no insurance money. Oh, wow. um, on top of it, I want people to know that we had incredible insurance, absolutely incredible insurance, um, but there were still bills. I, one specific instant, um, my husband had blood clot and they had to put in something called um, a bird cage in his inferior vena cava, the, the main vein that comes up from the legs, because they didn't want the clot to go into his lungs. 
And so, which can happen. So they wheeled him in the first time. They, his, he was six, six. They didn't have a bird cage that would fit his <laughs> inferior vena cava. So they had to order a special one, big one for big men. Um, they had to order a special one, which meant we had to wait another day. So we had a different doctor because the surgery had to happen. We had a different doctor. And as he is being wheeled into the room, the doctor says, by the way, I'm not in your insurance plan. And I'm like, he's like, is that okay? I'm like, my husband is, has cancer. What are we you supposed to chemo. say to that? I can't say no. So I say yes. And the insurance, it's out of pocket. And it was below the out of pocket max that were allowed. So he was not, it was that bill was not covered. And it was a surgery. And there was, there, was a, there was the hospital bill and then there was the bill for the doctor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just because there is insurance, I really hope that everyone understands this, just because insurance doesn't mean that everything is a-okay, you know? Um, and there were lots of other little things that we had to pay for out of pocket that got, you know, expensive. Um, so- Right, now, but you missed work a lot because you, you worked in HR then, right? I Don't wasn't you? working at that point. Oh, you weren't no, working at that point. I time. wasn't working, yeah, no. yeah. Well, I'm so, just thinking, you know, people, they miss work. The spouses miss work to take exactly. care of that. And, and what if the Ex person owns their own business? They don't have a boss to call and say, I'll pay your salary. for Exactly. Your exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, we, we often talk succession planning is really important. If you're a business owner, it's something we don't want to talk about. We don't want to deal about, or just having a plan of making sure that you know what's happening in your business, or you've got people who can run it for you. If it's big enough, who can run it for you while you're sick out for a month or three months, you know, that's really important. Um, so there wasn't any insurance money. So that was a very difficult blow. Um, but we ended up, um, by grace of my friend, we ended up kind of going after the insurance company because there was a loophole that they didn't, that they didn't think about and that they didn't provide support for my husband at the time. Um, and so we did get some insurance money, but it was really close. I mean, I was, you know, struggling and having to go back to work and was not good work material. You know, I had three, three kids who were at three different schools and trying to get them in their places where they're supposed to go. Kids on buses, kids, you know, just, I would leave, I would leave work every day at about two o'clock in my head. I wouldn't leave work until five, but in my head, I was gone. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very, it was, it's funny. I don't normally talk about this or share this part of my journey. It was a really difficult and stressful, stressful, stressful time in my life. Oh, yeah. um, and adjusting to being an only parent, adjusting to, you know, the kids dealing with the loss of their father, um, adjusting to, you know, the, the support really comes on strong and then it starts to die out as, as it, you know, as it does, you know, we get, we all get kind of tired of, it's like, you know, the Ukrainian war, it's no longer on the front page anymore, right? right? It's still going on, but we, the new cycle kind of continues and the life cycle kind of continues. Um, yeah, and your so, yeah, crisis was, continues and you're still right. in crisis, your still crisis there with the half a deck exactly. and everyone else's business as usual. That's like, I see that um, after funerals, after I lost my grandmother and I lost my dad when I was young. And one of the things that I witnessed through all the deaths I've seen is, you know, people are there the whole first week, you know, the neighbors, they bring the food and they go to the funeral. And I mean, everybody's there. And yeah. then when it's over, everybody's gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so when I go there, that's something I always make it a point to show up after the funeral. And especially during key times, if I know about a key time, Mother Day, Father Day, Christmas, or whatever it might be, if I'm aware of anything, depending on the depth of the relationship, and just to just check in on them. I'm thinking about you today. I remember that, you know, this, and that is, that's, that's really big. That, you know, it's really funny you mentioned that because that's actually a tip of my book is help them celebrate anniversaries and birthdays, right? Because, you know, just because the husband died two years ago, and I will tell people this, if you haven't shown up for your friend and it, their thing happened six months ago, it's not too late to show up. And in fact, they're going to be really grateful that you showed up because there's so many other people who haven't, who kind of their help has died off. And you can be the person who's like, hey, do you want lasagna or chicken for dinner on Thursday? <laughs> and they're going to be like, neither, but can you bring this? And then, you know, yeah. so, so if you haven't done anything, you know, it's, it's okay to do it now. Yeah. I, one of the things I really want people to know is being supportive takes courage. It's not something that feels comfortable, right? It's not something because we don't know if we're going to be helpful. We don't know. We're worried we're going to say and do the wrong thing. We worry that we're going to cause more pain. You have to work through that. You have to work through that to get to a place where you're just going to kind of just show up and, and hope it helps. Yeah. So I think the, I think that's the thing is that we forget that courage means you're uncomfortable. And if you're uncomfortable helping, that's okay. You don't have to be the perfect. So if you didn't show up for the first six months, you can go in and say, I didn't know what to do or what to say, but I love you. And I think about you every day. So I'm here to help. Do you want me to bring you lasagna chicken for dinner? Or do you want me to do some laundry for you? Or do you want me to pay for the kids to do this? Or is there a phone bill I can run off for you? Or can you tell you a really dumb joke I heard today? Right. So that's, so those are the options that you have. I mean, there's plenty, plenty more, but, you know, showing up on an anniversary or birthday is, you know, my, my great aunt or my, I guess she's like my aunt, my cousin, I don't know how to describe her. She's a family member. There you go. And she, and she, for the first seven years, eight years, she would send anniversary cards on the anniversary date of my wedding to my husband. Wow. And it was so sweet. And I loved it because it reminded me that I was not alone. I wasn't the only person who missed him. I wasn't the only person who felt bad about what happened. Yeah. That's that's, beautiful. That's really powerful. So if you're out there and you're listening, it's not too late. It's not too late. Yeah. You can always do the precursor. Like you said, I didn't know what to do, but I'm here today. Exactly. You know, and, and trip over yourself. Like we have tripped over ourselves talking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just pull that joker out of the deck and say, this is what I got. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The joker's so a good a card to have. With you? I do. You know, I'm so glad I thought about that. Hold on one second. always keep one near so here it is and the title is a little bit 100 acts of love a girlfriend's guide to loving your friend through cancer or loss 
and it's available on Amazon and on my website. And I want to show people this. So one of the things I did is when you're in an emergency, like when you really want to help your friend, you don't want to wade through five pages to find that one tip. You want to pick up the book. Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? You want to pick up the book. You want to open it up and look, you open it up and here's tip number active love number 41. And it says, clean her toilet. And then it goes on to a little explanation about that. And then you got it. Or maybe, maybe you want to do the, you know, um, maybe you want to help around the holidays. And this one, this tip is tip number 63, which is go holiday shopping with her. So there are, the idea behind the book is that you can open it immediately and find one thing to do and go and do it. And it's arranged in categories. So if helping with cars is your thing, if that's your secret power, and I'm not talking being a mechanic, I'm talking about, can you go fill it up with gas? Like, can you get it washed? Like, if that's the thing you really wanna do, then that's exactly what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that, that's, why I, that's why I wrote it that way, because for me, I don't, when I'm feeling in crisis, like I want to help, I want to help now. And I just want to open it. So it's got several different categories and it's really meant to be a nice, easy, simple read. You can sit down and read it in an hour and a half, or you can leave it on your coffee table and just know where it is and grab it when, when you need it. Wow. That's great for it to be simplified like that. Cause you know, when a crisis is having not a full deck, but then the one who wants to help, like you said, they could be uncomfortable. So simplifying it for them as well is just really powerful. So what do you think is the most important thing that our audience can take away from today? Um, I know there's know, a lot of things. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we touched on it. Um, you know, I'm not doing what I do right now for people and corporations and managers and HR teams because I wanted to like, you know, be, you know, give to the world, to pay back the world. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, I, I am doing it to pay back the world, but I'm doing it not because I'm strong or courageous or like got through a really tough time, you know, and I want to show the world how to do it. I'm doing it because literally the foundation I am standing on right now to that launched me into this life after my husband died was built by all the people who came forward and did kind and wonderful things, you know, and I really want people to know that that small thing that you do, that text that you send, that stopping by and going, Hey, let me, I noticed your registration car registration is out. Let me take care of that for you. The joke that you leave every Wednesday on their answering machine or on, you know, recorded, those things really matter. Like you matter. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our world that we think we don't matter to people or we don't understand why, like, you know, why does a person even have me in the life? You're your coworker, you know, you banter back and forth. You don't really know that much of each other, but you enjoy each other. And now this person coworker is sick and you really want to do something and you're afraid because you don't really know him really well. And, you know, you, you get into your own head, but yeah. your relationship with that coworker, your bantering with them every day at lunchtime matters. And so you showing up for them when they're having this difficult time really matters. Even if it's just to say, I don't know what to say. I care about you. And I'm so sorry. This is your journey. That's perfect. So that's the message is that you matter. You person in the world right now, you matter to the person you care about who's in crisis. 
Amen. So how can people connect with you if they want to maybe have you come in their organization or speak at their event or how, how can people connect with you? Sure. So a couple of ways. One, I know I talked about the number one thing not to say, but there are four other things not to say. And you can download that for free on my website at 100actsoflove.com. That's the number 100. So 100actsoflove.com backslash what not to say. Very simple to the point. What not to say. So that's the first thing. Uh, you can also reach out to me via my website as well. Um, I spend, I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. So you can always find me there. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I started restarting my LinkedIn lives this Thursday. So if you have a question about what to say to your friend, about how to talk to your boss, anything around crisis in the workforce, cancer, death, you know, health crisis, you can DM me and I will address that question. I won't identify you, but I'll address that question on, on my LinkedIn lives. Um, so LinkedIn, and then of course you can always find me on Instagram at 100 X of love on Instagram. So yeah, that's all those places. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today and your heart. Thank you for sharing your mess with us. And thank you for sharing your not a full deck of cards with us. We did that together. <laughs> we stumbled through this together. And I just, I just think it was really powerful. And so thank you for being with us today. Well, Danielle, thank you for what you do. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. It's, it's always a great honor to um, talk and um, yeah. And wishing you and what's going on in your life. You know, um, I'm just sorry. I think that's really all I want to say is I'm sorry. I know it's hard. It is. <laughs> and you yeah. listeners, thank you for being with us today. And reach out to Kim. And you reach out to me at DanielleBurnock.com. Until next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at DanielleBurnock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you. <laughs>